right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I was singing in Spanish, probably not as well as a, as a native person from, from one of those countries, but I tried my best because it was similar in Italian. So I was worshiping the Lord today and singing some of that in Spanish. How about you guys? Were you trying something different? Were you all trying something different? All right. Okay. Because in heaven, it's not going to be all English, right? And we're all not going to just be Americans, right? All right, so God has created us in the Imagu Day, so we can reference here in America that we are a people of God wherever we go because we're 5% of the population of the world. Amen? Amen. We are. I mean, we are. So God has other people groups just besides us here in America. Obviously, there's a melting pot here, but we are going to work our best here as the church to continue to integrate or towards integration. So we've been uh, talking about, uh, this this past week we had a sermon series entitled Warning, and we're looking at the book of Hebrews, and with the book of Hebrews there's some backdrop through five warnings. Last week I kind of laid out the different background, uh, the different background of the people group, the audience, what was involved in this background of the book, and then also as the warnings, as we progress through these warnings, there's going to be an Old Testament backdrop as well that will be involved. In fact, this morning we're going to see some of that as it correlates. Chapter 3 of Hebrews is going to correlate with Numbers chapter 13 and 14 with Kadesh Barnea, when the spies, the 12 spies that went into the land to survey the land, to evaluate and assess it because God called them to it. So last week I shared with you some warnings. Um, I might share just a couple more, although not on the monitor. I just um, was, was kind of searching around, kind of having some fun. I just thought this was funny. Um, maybe you guys might not think it is, but they had a, they had a church sign, uh, a warning to a person. It says, whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you are going. I said, so I said, wow, talk about warning. <laughs> Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through that sign. All right. Brimstone. Hell and brimstone, baby. All right. So then I thought, okay, let me just see if we could follow along and find some others that are present on these signs. And I thought they were kind of funny. I'll share with you. It says, sunscreen prevents sin burn. Sunscreen, S-O-N, screen prevents sin burn. Forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. Um, it says, one of them says, God's favorite word is come, <laughs> just come. And then another one says, blah, 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 just come to church. Okay. So all of these are just fun little reminders about how, you know, sometimes we have little warnings in our lives and how we are responding. We want to respond to the Lord in a way that we want to listen. And that's what we're going to talk about this, this Sunday, this week, is about how important it is for us to hold fast to our confidence, to hold fast to our confidence. Guys, can you advance to the next slide? Um, thank you. So it's the idea that we're holding fast because in chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 6, and especially in verse 6 and verse 14, we're going to see this statement here, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. Because throughout the warnings, as I mentioned last week, you have in also in the backdrop is what theologians, different scholars that are looking at it from a perspective that one could potentially lose their salvation. This book is used through these five warnings. 
So not only are we getting the five warnings, we're also getting what we call soteriological issues. I mean, soteriology is a study of salvation, and you're having these issues determining whether one can lose their salvation or not. Whether you are an Arminianist or Neo-Arminianist or you are a Calvinist, Neo-Calvinist, if whichever perspective you see from the scripture and the interpretation is important to see in these statements. Because in the backdrop, as I mentioned with the audience, is that we believe these are Jewish believers, but at the time when this was written and at the time when the Jews are coming from Judaism to Christianity, Judaism was calling their people back and those Jewish Christians were saying, no, we're finding this Jesus, the one who is the son of God, the one who is superior over all, the angels and Moses and all of what we would call the priesthoods. He supersedes all of them, he's superior. And yet the false teachers were teaching different. The false teachers were de- teaching that Jesus isn't truly the son of God because he's made of matter, that's evil, the spirit is good, the dualistic approach or the form of Gnosticism. And so we see that this is in the backdrop as we're reading these statements. These are so important as you look because before we could even get there, we have to talk about the backdrop of chapter 3 with Numbers chapter 13 and 14 about Kadesh Barnea. Now, understanding, too, in chapter 13, God gives a command to Moses that he says, set up some spies, one from each tribe, to go and survey the land of which I'm going to give you and see the fruit of the land and come back, and I want you to talk about it, come back together. So then Moses commands the people according to the word of God, and God gives them that. He's speaking, and then Moses speaks, and then they receive the information. We talked about it last week about listening. And so Moses was sent out along and telling them to be sent out to these, to these 12, and they, they're sent out. And I love what Moses tells them, and it's in Numbers chapter 13, 17. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up to Negev and up, up, up to the hill country and see what the land is. Whether the people who dwell in it is strong or weak, whether there are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in are good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in and and all the camps are strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, or whether they're trees or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So what God is saying is that I... No matter what you're going to encounter, no matter what difficulty is in front of you, no matter what stronghold may come before you, be of good courage. I'm calling you to And so he calls them, but the word good courage in the Hebrew is so important because pretty much what he's saying in the tense is it's already taken care of. All you need to do is go. I promise you're going to overcome it. And so he's giving them a word, he's speaking, and he's having his people to just simply listen. But listen with the intent to obey, because when you listen in the Hebrew, it means you're going to obey. It's not as though you have a choice. You're commanded, and the servant is to respond with obedience. Now, see, we need so, so what? So I asked this question. I asked this question, if you could advance the next slide. What was the difference between Caleb, Joshua, and the other spies, because all 12 of them heard this command. All 12 were told they need to go. All 12 were told, be of good courage. You have a promise from God. You need to listen. As individuals, 
come collectively as a corporate people of God, specifically in the New Testament under a new covenant known as the body of Christ, the church today. Each member who is trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ has the same gospel, namely salvation in Christ, and has the same responsibility before the Lord to obey, to yield, to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit daily must come together in agreement to further their influence as the body of Christ in their immediate context for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world that does not know him. That is a comprehensive statement that tells us what we are called to do today in the church. But even as the people of God in the Old Testament, they received this and they received a command from God and all 12 of them heard it, but the question is, who listened and obeyed? Because when the report came back, we understand that it was different. We'll go over that in just a minute. If you can advance the next slide. They saw the same land and the people, and they heard the same promise from God. What happened? What happened? They heard God's voice. They heard Moses. And they were called to obey, to overcome this land. If God promises to overcome any obstacle in our lives, how should we respond? If we hear from the Lord and he has made it clear to trust him in the impossible, will we follow with obedience or question his leading? Sometimes we hear these voices. We hear a clear command from God, but then we hear and are distracted by other voices. And we hear these voices of what to do. How are we going to be on the right side of the argument? How am I going to be able to, and, and it seems like today, every time there's an argument about just about everything, right? I mean, I said it last week about the mass or about, you know, racial injustice or politics or whatever it may be. We're all trying to be on the right side of the argument. So we keep defending and keep looking for information, keep trying to find, but we're hearing these voices. But have we failed as the people of God that we clearly hear God is always speaking but are we listening? And how are we listening? Are we listening with the intent to obey? Are we listening, questioning, and wondering, should we do what God says? Is that the, always the right thing to do? We would all emphatically say, of course we want to do what God wants us to do. But do our lives show that? Because these 10 spies, for some reason, out of the two, Caleb and Joshua, they didn't respond like Caleb and Joshua. So we have to see and just to dissect it for just a minute and see, like, you know, again, they, could you guys advance the slide, please? The people of God who have spiritual deficiencies toward him, the people of God can have them. And what are some of them? Well, number one, they could have deaf ears. Deaf ears. Guys, I need you to work with me here. Deaf ears. They have deaf ears. We listen, but don't obey. Selective listening. We listen, we hear God's voice, but we don't obey. Is there, can you guys fix that for me? Because that's going to drive me crazy, sorry. So, so number one is they, they have deaf ears. We listen, but we don't obey. That's what was going on with the ten spies. Number two, you can go advance. Number two, doubting hearts. We're willing, but we don't follow through. Skepticism. So we have selective listening, and we have skepticism. We're doing that today. We do it all as people of God. We have skepticism, wondering what the future is going to hold. 
Can you imagine the 10 that were there wondering what's going to happen? Number three, difficulty seeing. They see, but not past themselves. They see, but not past themselves. That's short-sightedness. So we have selective listening, skepticism, and short-sightedness. Is that possible that we may have some of this? Is it possible that as we're walking with God, we want to? Now, remember, those statements are pretty clear. They listen, but don't follow through and obey selective listening. They're willing, but not willing to follow through. They see, but not past themselves. So we're going to look at, again, just the, the, the book of Numbers. Just advance the slide if you can. Caleb speaks. And let's just, let's just watch this because Caleb speaks. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses after this command that I shared earlier and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. What an attitude. What a man of God, man who is faithful, man who says, even though I'm not sure what's in front of me, even if I can't explain it right now, even if I have no idea what's going to happen, I'm going to believe the promise of God, and I'm going to believe that God's going to come through because he's holding his, his part. That's when Caleb is speaking. Now, let's go to the next slide and see what the 10 spies are speaking. What are they saying? Well, they're saying this. Then the men who had gone up with him said, and these are the 10, we are not able to go up against this, the people, for they are stronger than we are. Now, why in the world do you get Caleb who says, we can overcome it, but you got the other 10 saying, I don't think we can do this. Caleb, I think you're just a little too optimistic here because I think you think God could do so much here, but I think God... He's holding us responsible to do this. And also, I think there's some logic here. Let's think this through. Let's intellectually think this through and see if this could actually work. Let's have a strategic plan and work it out and see if it can, it can happen. In fact, I don't see the scientific data here that we can do it because they're big and strong and we're not. They're big and there are many numbers there and we're not. I don't think it's possible. So here, Caleb speaks, the 10 speak. And then the 10 who speak go to the next group of people because there's a lot of people speaking. Now, Follow with me here, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry because they heard the one that was negative and skeptical, the one that they too agreed and said, doesn't seem logical for us to do this. He says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. Why didn't they listen to Caleb? Because, see, he's one. But the many who speak more tend to go towards the many that speak. The plurality. Their influence. How did the ten influence them? In a very negative way. The one couldn't overcome that, but the other ten did. They were able to draw this congregation in and get them worrying and fearful. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that, that we had died in his wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land <laughs> to fall by the sword? Why? The question why. Why is God allowing this in our lives? Then he goes on. He says, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Doesn't God care about us? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt where we were comfortable, where we got our three meals, our square meals? Even though we had to work hard, we still were taken care of. We're able to have our own little location, our people, even though we were, we were servants of Egypt. He said, 
Verse 4, and they said to him, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Meaning, Moses, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired, Moses, because we don't like what you're doing. In fact, the plurality wins. You're out. So it's, it's important for us to understand that the response is reactive leading to replacement. It's reactive. Doesn't God care about us, our comfort? He needs to tell me why he wants to do this. You see, you see their position? But then we got Joshua speaks. Joshua speaks. And as you see, Joshua, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehunu, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good. It's a good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only, now watch these key words now, only do not rebel against God. What a difference between the why question, why are you doing this, God, to don't rebel against God. It's total opposite. And he goes on, he says, do not fear the people of the land. They were saying, we need to be afraid. They're big and strong. And he goes on, he says, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. So the key words is, do not rebel, do not fear, the Lord is with us. That's what you see, and it says, do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to the stone them with stone. So they said, we don't like what you're saying. We're going to replace you. You're done. Your voice doesn't matter to us. We don't value it anymore. When you speak, we're not going to listen. We're only going to listen to the plurality. And we're saying, you know what, we're out of here. We're not going forward. And see, God is telling them to go forward, and they're saying no. How about us? How often do we have selective listening? How often are we skeptical of what, what God's doing in our lives? How often do we find ourselves consumed with our lives that we just have short-sightedness because we're focusing on ourselves? This is what was happening. See, the response that Caleb and Joshua had was a response that was it was responsive leading to radical faith. It was responsive. See, they didn't need to know what was before them. They just didn't want to rebel God. See, they didn't want to fear those people around them. They wanted to believe that God was with them. That's radical. In fact, they didn't care about what God was doing. They just wanted to focus on the Lord and obeying his promises. They heard God's voice, and they listened, and they obeyed. And so, see, that takes us now to Hebrews and it's important for us to gather that in the first century was the same thing as I mentioned. But now they're saying, put your eyes on Jesus. In the Old Testament, they were putting their eyes on Yahweh. Now, Jesus, who is curious, Yahweh, we have to understand that now the false teachers are saying not to. In chapter 2, as, as we're about to begin in chapter 3, it says in chapter 2 that it says that Jesus is our propitiation, the substitutionary atonement for our sin. He's the one who is the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies. And was thrown on the mercy seat as a lamb of God, sacrificing himself for you and I. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of our gospel. So as we look at it, let's just look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. See, calling means an invitation to experience of special privilege 
and responsibility. It's a calling. It's an invitation. Some would say that this was the actual calling to salvation, but really it was the calling to invite someone to salvation. So here it was a calling that he was saying, brothers, you hear me now. If you know Christ, this is what you have signed up for. This is important. And then the word consider means to think about carefully. It's an imperative to be attentive to Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, whom you are accountable to, whether believer or non-believer. So here is this Jesus whom you, you heard about in the first part of the letter in chapter 1 into 2, and now I'm going to remind you again. And confession means a state of allegiance. So the confession is that the high priest of our confession, that we confess that Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross for our sin, that he died in our place. So it's a confession and allegiance. So if we confess, that means we got to what? We got to live by it. Because <laughs> we can't confess Jesus and then have a different life. We can't say we love Jesus and we're not living for Jesus. We can't say that we're all on fire for him, excited for him, but our lives are the total opposite of what we're saying. Meaning when we speak, we hope that our lives are truly paralleling to what we speak. Because if not, we're just mere words and not deed also. Because the gospel, that's important, that we live that out. Now, let's go to verse 6. Because he went on to compare Moses and Jesus and the superiority of Christ. And then he goes into verse 6. He says, but Christ is faithful over all of God's house as the Son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, this is an important statement here. I just want to just kind of put the brakes on here for just a minute and kind of explain something here. Because when it says that Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, see, as it says, Moses was faithful in the house, but Christ is faithful over the house because of authority. He's the creator, he's the sustainer. He's the son of God, the one that in chapter one God spoke to. He spoke of his son, not to angels. Remember the worship of angelology, and now he's saying we have to worship Jesus because he is the son of God. So we are the house, the people of God. We are his temple. The temple that was in the Old Testament was the presence of God. Today, we understand the temple in our hearts is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit, when he's living in us, we can either grieve him or quench him, or we live for him. We surrender our lives with the intention to obey. When we obey and yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit, that's when God's at work. That's when God's at work in our hearts, and he's exposing our sin. He's revealing our sin. He's, he's getting us to a place where we confess our sin and humble ourselves before him, so that when we do, we can walk in a way that we're called to walk. But then he goes on, and he says this. He says, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our con confidence. So this is a conditional statement. And in the Greek, you have cause and effect, or you have evidence to inference. Now, the, this is what you have when you have an if-then clause, or you have what we call a protesis, which is the first part of a conditional, versus apotitis. And so the apotitis is the second part. But here, it's a switch. And what you see is that if we are his house, then we will hold fast to our confidence. See, our confidence is not... In ourselves, our confidence is in the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, why am I going further into this? Because this statement is similar to John 15, 14. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, you are my friends, therefore you will do what I command you. 
That's what that, that's the, so the obedience is not the basis for the relationship, but the indicator of it. Number two, Hebrews 12, 8, if, we, if you are without discipline, you are illegitimate and not sons. Again, the absence of discipline is not the cause of illegitimacy, but the evidence for it. And so it's important to see that when we say we hold fast of our confidence, I don't agree that Arminius would say that that means someone can lose their salvation. Because in the present tense, it means that it's already settled. If it were for the sake that we, it was based on what we do, then it would say, then you will be. It's in the future. Then you will be. God, you have to understand that the house of God comes because God has placed you in the house of God because the confession comes from believing in the person and work of Jesus, not based on what we've done. See, faith is not based on what we've done. It's what God has done through us. And so when we respond to him, we respond to him in faith. And so the key component there is that it's not a future, it's the present. And so if it's the present, then we're called to live accordingly. We're to hold fast the confidence that's in us. That means when we surrender and we yield through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that because we are his house. We are children of God. And if we do that and you see the fruit of a person's life when they're holding fast, then you and I will know the evidence is clear. They're walking with God. They're confessing Jesus with their mouth and believing in the heart that God raised them from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And they're living it out. So salvation isn't just about justification. It's sanctification, and then it's glorification. Because when you're looking at it from a perspective, it's eschatological. It's an entirety. It's not just trusting in Christ. Because when we just trust in Christ and we don't live like it, then are we really saved? Then we become what we call professing Christians. We profess with our mouths, but we're not living accordingly. And so it's important for us to understand that what he's talking about and the confidence that we have in Christ is that we hold fast to it. So how do we hold fast our confidence? We hold fast to our confidence by one, considering God's voice over the others. I mean, as I just said in Hebrews 3, 1, it's clear. Therefore, holy brothers, I'm going to share it again. You who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Well, you will consider Jesus if you're a child of God the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And then in verse 7, it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. See, here's the warning. If you're truly walking with God, you'll hear his voice. But if you, don't, if you hear his voice and don't respond, then there's a warning call. It's what they did in Numbers chapter 13, the 10 spies. See, this is what the author's talking about here. He's talking about the 10 spies. He says, but Caleb quieted the people of God before him and said, let us go up once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. See, if you hold fast the confession, then you are living accordingly because you're a child of God. Then you're going to respond like, you and I are going to respond like Caleb. Doesn't mean we don't have concerns. Doesn't mean that we're not going to wonder. Doesn't mean I'm saying, well, I wonder what God's going to do now because this seems like impossible and I'm not sure how he's going to work it out. I'm kind of skeptical, but you know what? He told me to believe him, so I'm going to believe him. I'm moving forward. Even though you might question it a little bit, but your action is moving forward. You're holding fast to the confidence. What's that confidence? It's not our confidence. It's the confidence we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ who's accomplished salvation. 
Also, Numbers 14, 24. Listen to what this says here. It says this. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. That's what, see, he had a different spirit from the others. He was obedient. I will bring him into the land to which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. But to the others, let me just share, to the others, there was serious rebellion. To the others, they weren't just simply listening. They weren't really considering Jesus. Because, see, when we hear a voice and we obey it, we value it. When your boss tells you to do something, do you sit there and go, why? Why are you doing this? I don't like what you're doing. I think you're doing the wrong thing. I think we need to do this. And if your boss keeps saying, well, I prefer we do this, but I think we need to do this. I think you need to listen to me. <laughs> and I said, but I've asked you to do this, but I think we should do this. Can you listen to me for once? We see, we value that voice. We want to keep our job. We want the paycheck to come. <laughs> we want to support our family. We want food on the table. We want our air conditioning on during the hot weather. We want our electricity on. We want to watch our, our favorite TV show. We want to get on the internet. We want to pay for the internet. We want to have our cars. We want to turn the key on the car. We want to put gas in it. We want all that, so we value our boss's voice. What about husband? Husband, you value your wife's voice when there's a warning? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You guys are like squirming a little bit. You're like, hmm. Like I was talking to someone here on Friday night after we had a life group workshop meeting, and my wife texted me. She goes, are you coming home? We have company. I said, uh-oh. Dun, 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 dun. You know, by the way, my wife, she put a ringtone on my phone, and she goes, you want to check this out? I said, what? It says, and it went, warning, warning. It's the wife. It's the wife. I was like, are you telling me that in case I'm doing something bad? She goes, no, I just want to give you that warning that when I call, you better answer it. Okay, got the warning. Uh, very nicely, joyous, sweet, little, short, little, petite girl, but she's got a little spunk. All right, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, when the warning comes, are we valuing the voice? Wife, are you valuing your husband when they get a little frustrated and they give you that look? It's just got that body language. It's the look. It's the look. You know the looks. There are different kinds of looks in your husband and wife thing. And kids, you know the parents' look. And um, parents, we know the children's look. And, so it's like you get all these looks, and that speaks. That's communication. That's a voice. So we have to understand that God is calling us to listen. We have to consider. We have to consider. You know, uh, a, a pastor wrote out there, uh, particularly he, was, um, he wrote out that he said there are certain voices that are laid out. And um, he said there are five reasons we don't hear God. One is we want God to show us, not tell us. Right? Because when he shows us, we become passive. But when he tells us, we have to be active. Number two. He said, we desire immediate results more than a long-term relationship. See, God calls us to have a relationship with him. It's not about what we do for him. He says, we focus more, number three, on what, on what than the who. We think about what we're supposed to do rather than who he is. We focus, number four, on us than him. This is really apropos because we get focused on ourselves. And finally, he said, we give more weight to the uncertain communication, our feelings, at the expense of certain communication, God's word. That's where we miss it. That's where we're missing that consideration of God. Number two, how do we hold fast? Number two is completely 
surrendering to God, not straying from God. Completely surrendering to God, not straying from God. Now, before we go to Hebrews here, I just want to share that this Hebrews passage, verses 8 through 11, come directly from Psalm 95, 7 through 11. Now, this is important to know because Psalm 95, 1 through 6, the psalmist is writing, worshiping God, bowing before his presence, thanking him for his person and what he's done for him, praising him for who he is. And then there's a warning. So if you look and you see verses 1 through 6, he's focused on his glory of who he is and relationship of how awesome God is and how great he is. He even says in verses 6, 7a, it says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Remember that song? Remember that song? You guys remember that song? Okay, all right. For he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is when we understand, we enter into his presence, we draw near to him, we have access to God, to the Lord God. But now we go back and we look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And what does it say? Here's the warning. Do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. Talking about, again, numbers with the ten spies. On the day of testing in the wilderness. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. You know that, that word hardening just simply means that someone who is unyielding and resisting information. They're unyielding to God. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10. He says, therefore I was provoked. The word provoked means to be very upset over something someone has done. To be angry and offended. God was angry and offended when they did not obey him. He was angry. When you and I sin, God is angry and offended, and there's a wrath that's there. That's why it's important for us to consider Jesus. Because when we consider Jesus, Jesus is the advocate, Heracles goes in before us at the throne. The Father who's the judge, Jesus sits there and he goes, he's one of ours. And when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then I say, I consider Jesus. Because I've provoked you to anger, Lord. Our sin, God is always offended by. And that should burn in our hearts because when we sin, we have to see that God is. Sometimes we focus so much on grace, it's enabling. That we forget that there's still sin that offends God. And we as a people of God have to understand that God is calling us. And then he goes on to say this. He said this. He says, they always go astray in their heart. Wow. What a judgment. God's saying, they don't seem to come toward me at all. They always run away from me. He means to proceed. The word astray means to proceed without a sense of proper direction, to be misled and wander. They're a wanderer. A wanderer. Remember that song? I'm not going to sing it. Wanderer, he's a wanderer. He's a wanderer, a wanderer. Okay, so, so he's a wanderer, and they don't even know my way. You know, what the, you know what he's saying? When we're ignorant of God's ways, we wander. When we wander, it's because we're ignorant of God's ways. But he's even going to go further. And God says, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, many have said, and this is actually, the word rest goes in chapter 4. It finishes up into chapter 4. But the word rest has meant either salvation, intimacy with God, eternal rest, 
Which one is it? To the Arminianist, it's heaven. To the Calvinist, it's intimacy with God. To others, it may be something uh, with Judaism and, 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 and perspective of eternal rest. But here's the thing. If you follow the line, if we're his house, and we hold fast to the, our, our confidence, and we don't obey him at times, and we stray at times, and we provoke him at times, even in our walk with Christ, we lose our what we call intimacy with God. We lose that rest. We lose that intimacy. We lose that relationship with God. You know, like when we fail, when our husbands or our wives, our spouses or our children, when the communication's broken down, when someone speaks and someone's not listening, someone doesn't follow along, what happens? There's a brokenness in the relationship. And how does it come back together? You confess. Somebody's got to confess they're wrong. Husband, confess you're wrong. Wife, confess you're wrong. Child, confess you're wrong. Parent, confess you're wrong. Friend, confess you're wrong. Cousin, forget, for, you know, all of it when we confess our wrong. God is calling us to that. Because a hardness of heart, this is what it is. It's unyielding. It's resistant. I have to be right. I will go until I'm right. Where I say, okay, maybe we have to consider something different. And that's what God's calling. So lastly, this is the kicker. We have to lastly challenge others to obey God. That builds community. That builds community. Here's another additional warning in Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. It says, take care, brothers, lest there in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's recanting this all, leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, another statement is falling away mean losing salvation or falling away meaning that you were never saved and you have an unbelieving heart? So that's all in question because that word is the apostate. That's what it means in the Greek. But it's important to understand that we could fall away, but I believe it's in relationship. That's why this is important. Now watch the next verse. This is important, people of God, corporate people of God. Watch this now. It says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That word today is not meaning present. It means that today is the day of salvation. God has given us salvation. It's an eternal perspective. It's eschatological. It's always there. It's present with us until the day that we pass away and go in the fullness of his presence. So that word today means every day. And exhort is parakaleo, which means we come alongside of and build our brothers and sisters up. Here's the thing. When you see your brother or your sister falling, it's you and I who need to not be worried. Oh, are they going to be offended if I say something? No, it's our duty. We're commanded. We're to exhort our brothers, one another, to continue to spur on to faith. That's the key. So we need to challenge each other. It may not be in our personalities, but we need to challenge one another. We need to make sure. Because why? See, unbelief is not a lack of faith or trust but a refusal to believe God. And that's important. And today, as I said, is not referring to just today, but referring to every moment we have on earth to live obediently and faithfully to God prior to being in the fullness of his presence. Because it's about being in the presence of God. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, drawing near in his presence in the holy of holies, worshiping and praising him, getting into an intimate moment with God, not being perfect, not living a life of perfection, not wondering whether am I saved today or not saved tomorrow, am I going to lose my salvation now? It's eternal security. God said he saved you, you're saved. It's the perseverance of the saints. Now we have to move forward and follow through, meaning if we are the people of God, we are his house, then we will hold fast. And holding fast in our confidence means we need each other. In fact, that's what the corporate people of God is all about. 
We need each other. So when you're holding fast, you're holding fast for your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your friend. Anybody who's in Jesus Christ, you're holding fast for that reason. It's not about you and I. It's about the unity. It's about the corporate unity. It's about holding fast to exhort one another so we can build together. In fact, that's discipleship. But it's been tough. Because community is difficult to have right now in the midst of all we're going through. But if we consider Jesus, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we focus on what we're called to and challenged, then that's what he's calling us to. Holding fast to Christ is holding fast. We can live, we can live today and every day confidently until he calls us in his presence. Again, Hebrews 3.14, same as verse 6. It says this, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. Actually, firm to the end is in verse 6, but most scholars today took that passage out, that part, that phrase out. But in verse 14, it was to be left. Because we think the author was trying to write it, but he wrote it only once in verse 14 in the letter. It says, for we have come to share in Christ, partakers in Christ. We are in Christ. We are his house. And we will hold to our original confidence firm to the end. That's what God is calling us to do. And when we do that, we need to challenge each other. That's the warning. Because if we don't and we continue, we fall away from the Lord. And we don't walk in the intentionality he's called us to. So I challenge you. In the second warning... Don't stray. Don't harden your heart. Don't provoke God. We've got to come together, hold fast to our confidence, and through that confidence, encourage one another through it as well. It's a better time than this right now. We need community. We need to come together. We need Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for reminding us how important it is for us to hold fast to our confidence, to the confession that Jesus Christ is our Savior who went into the Holy of Holies as a substitutionary atonement to appease your wrath against sin and to make way for us to come boldly before your throne. We have access now. And Lord, I pray that we, in our sanctification, will hold fast through the struggles, through the difficulties, through the trials, that we will continue to come before your throne and to recognize how much we need you. And I pray that through it we'll challenge each other not to fall away, but to exhort one another for the sake of being a corporate unity so we can make a difference and the world can see us as different. God, I pray that we would learn to do that for your honor and your glory and your